Dearly beloved, we are gathered here in the sight of God before his church to witness the union of this man and this woman in holy matrimony. This is an honorable estate, instituted and blessed by God in paradise before humanity's fall and sin. In marriage, we see a picture of the communion between Christ and his bride and the church. Our Lord blessed and honored marriage with his presence and first miracle at Cana and Galilee. This estate is also commended to us by the Apostle Paul. It's good and honorable. Therefore, marriage is not to be entered into advisedly or lightly, but reverently, deliberately, and in accordance with the purposes for which it was instituted by God. The union of husband and wife and heart, body and mind is intended by God for the mutual companionship, help, and support that each person ought to receive from the other, both in prosperity and adversity. Marriage was also ordained so that men and women may find delight in one another. Therefore, all persons who marry shall take a spouse in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust, for God has not called us to impurity, but in holiness. God also established marriage for the procreation of children, who are to be brought up in the fear and instruction of the Lord, so that they may offer him their praise. For these reasons, God has established the holy estate that John and Stephanie wish to enter. They desire our prayers as they begin their marriage in the Lord's name and with his blessing. The word of the Lord from Genesis, the second chapter. Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. And then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a help fit for him. And so out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and, and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call And whatever the man called every living creature, that was his name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. And so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up his place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And then the man said, This is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. In the book of Ephesians we hear, Therefore be imitators of God, his beloved children, and walk in love, as Christ loved us and gave himself for us, fragrant offerings and sacrifice to God. What? Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself his Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without 
cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. John Calvin Layton, will you have this woman to be your wedded wife and to live together in the holy estate of matrimony as God has ordained it? Will you nourish and cherish her as Christ loved his body and church, giving himself up for her? Will you love, honor, and keep her in sickness and in health, and forsaking all others, remain united to her alone so long as you both shall live? If so, say, I will. I will. Stephanie Ann Hart, will you have this man to be your wedded husband? To live together in the holy estate of matrimony as God ordained it. Will you submit to him as the church submits to Christ? Will you love, honor, and keep him in sickness and in health, and forsaking all others, remain united to him alone so long as you both shall live? Then say, I will. Repeat after me. I, John, take you Stephanie. I, John, take you Stephanie. To be my wedded wife. To be my wedded wife. To have and hold from this day forth. To have and hold from this day forth. For better or worse. For better or worse. For richer or poor. For richer or poor. In sickness and in health. In sickness and in health. To love and to cherish. To love and to cherish. Till death us in part. According to God's holy will, according to God's holy will, and I pledge to you my faithfulness, and I pledge to you my faithfulness. Stephanie, you Stephanie. I, Stephanie, take you, John, to be my wedded husband, to have the hold from this day forward, for better or worse, for richer or poor. In sickness and in health. To love and to cherish. Till death us depart. Till death us depart. According to God's holy will.
have committed themselves to each other in holy matrimony and have given themselves to each other by their solemn pledges and have declared the same before God and these witnesses, have pronounced them to be husband and wife in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. But God has here joined together. Let not man put sunder. Amen. Now the Almighty and the gracious God abundantly grant you his favor and sanctify and bless you with the very blessing given to Adam and Eve in paradise, that you may please him in both body and soul and live together in holy love until your life's end. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
for he will speak peace to his people, to his saints, but let them not turn back to folly. Steadfast love and faithfulness meets, righteousness and peace kiss each other. God's word for us on this, the second Sunday in Advent, the Old Testament reading from the prophet Isaiah, the 62nd chapter. For Zion's sake I will not keep silent, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not be quiet until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. The nations shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory, and you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord, and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no more be termed forsaken, and your land shall no more be termed desolate. But you shall be called, My delight is in her, and your land married. For the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. O Lord, have mercy on us. The epistle reading from 1 Thessalonians, the fifth chapter. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. 
We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. O Lord, have mercy on us. in honor of Christ Jesus, of whom the Holy Gospel is read. The Gospel of St. Matthew, the 25th chapter. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, They all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. O Lord, have mercy on us. Amen. 
Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. This is the day my redeeming will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely.
grace and peace be yours from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Our text for this 20, rather the second Sunday after, in Advent, is from the 25th chapter of St. Matthew, these words, The kingdom of heaven shall be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish, and the foolish took their lamps but took no oil. This is our text, dear friends, in Christ. It hasn't been that many months now since soaring crude oil prices raised once again in the collective consciousness of Americans the memory of what things were like oil-wise not that many years ago in this country. Many will recall in the 1970s we saw not one but two crippling oil crises. One in 1973 when OPEC, the Association of of Arab Oil Exporting Countries, when it turned off the spigot to U.S. supply in reaction to U.S. foreign relations uh, State Department maneuvers. Another crisis came because of the Iranian Revolution in 1979. But the net result of both, of each of these, gas lines, oil shortage, And not few in number were the the auto casualties of the crisis. The cars left abandoned, for a time at least, because whether waiting in line for gas at the pump or, or on the way to the fill station, they just ran out. Now, I don't think it would be fair to label foolish the one who ran out while he was stuck in the line. And I don't even think it would be right to call foolish the one who ran out on the way to the fill station to fill up. Foolish, though, is the one who simply neglected to regard the fact that the little needle on the dashboard was consistently heading toward that undeniable little letter E. And rightly, we think unwise one who prepares none for fires, for health crises, computer crashes, things that might happen, but they're not even guaranteed to happen to you. And yet still, rightly, we think people unwise who don't prepare for these, but, but it's nothing short of foolish. And Jesus means that in the strongest sense of the word. It's nothing short of foolish to prepare for something that most certainly will come to pass in time like his coming, his second coming. Ready or not, he will come. Now, if we consider today's parable and are comfortably quick to think of the foolish as, as others, others who in days of old were, were titled heathen in more politi- politically correct times, it's the unchurched, don't be so comfortable If that's where you'd comfortably and quickly place this label from the parable today, don't be so quick and comfortable to do so and think again. No doubt it's true. And Scripture's clear that everyone, all people, necessarily need be ready for Christ's second advent. But in this parable here, Jesus is not speaking of all people. How does he start the parable? He says the kingdom of heaven is like ten Ten maidens, but the the kingdom of heaven. You see, here he's speaking of the church. Of all places and races and times, the church here in this parable, the church visible, made up of virgins, of maidens here, the designation that being of those who were customarily part of an Israelite wedding ceremony. 
Some wise, he said, some foolish. That's the way it is in the visible church. Looking in the church visible, those we can see, looking at them, you can't tell which one is which. You can't see into their lamps, into their hearts. Some possess the vital oil. Others have neglected it, thinking it unnecessary. Don't you be among those who bear the lamp only, but then senselessly neglect the necessary oil. Don't be among those who bear the name of Christian in name only, or perhaps take a measure of some security in in being outwardly and formerly in some formal way associated with with the church or by family relation only, but yet never receive that which fuels the, the flame of faith. Wouldn't that be like taking up a lamp but never putting oil in it? What good is that? Lamps are vessels made for burning. Of course, they're going to need oil to fuel the flame. Of course they will. Christian hearts, too, are baptismally made for believing. But they need that which fuels and and feeds the flame of faith. They need the oil, for without it the flame will die. So what's this oil? Where does one go about getting it then? Well, it's wise you ask now, because there may be no time later. The fuel that keeps Christian hearts of faith aflame, even in the coldest and the darkest of hours, is none other than Jesus Christ himself, all of him, all of him. What he from the Christmas manger to the cross, to the right hand of power, what he did in saving you, what he yet does in delivering that to you, what he will do at the end of time, all of it, all of him, he himself, with himself, fills the vessel of the human heart, a vessel that, because of our sin-born and fallen condition, a vessel that otherwise is cold and is, is dark, spiritually, Scripture says it's dead. With a, and it's empty of, of hope and of, of trust in him. He himself, he fills it. But you know, it's not by him bringing you and me across time and space to the source, the precious font, the source and spring of that oil, the cross upon which he died for you and me to pay the price for our sin. No, but rather it's by bringing, it's by bringing the priceless oil of Calvary's cross across the years and across the miles in the way that only he, the God of time and space, can, bringing it to you and me through the pipeline of his saving grace, namely his word, the sacraments. It's said that some oil is, is a byproduct of a living being that's died. Crude oil, said to be such. Ancient lamp oil was drawn from a slain whale. Other oil, like olive oil, it's extracted from the ripened fruit, in this case the olive, as it's pressed and as it's compressed with intense force and pressure. But whichever image you choose, each oil image here well applies. For you, imagine the vast stores of oil aplenty that flow from Jesus' intense suffering, his bloody and painful death upon the cross. But now risen he himself through his word, this word you hear, 
read to you, that through the sacraments that you receive, through his word and sacraments, he comes to you. He, he brings, he bears himself to you to fill your lamp. Not as oil refined. He doesn't need any refining. He doesn't need any impurities taken out of him. You do. That's why he comes, to forgive you of those. You could say, though, he comes as oil reformulated because he's the God who has bonded himself from this day until the end of time, who's bonded himself to his word and to the water, bread, and wine of the the sacramental signs that he's given, dynamic signs that he's given. And he does it in order to come to you to forgive you of your impurities. That's why he comes. Word and sacraments that here in and only in his church he makes available to you. At what cost? Cost him everything. He spent himself, his life, so that you who have no money, with nothing with which to buy or barter for divine favor, so that as scripture says, you who have no money can come and you can buy without money and without price. You see, it's not what you put into it. It's not even what you put into him that fills your lamp. It's it's what he's put into you that keeps faith aflame. And there are no alternative fuels here. That's why his word and his sacraments are so precious, precious commodities to be used. To be used. That's why he went to such lengths and through, literally through such hell to provide them so that you'd have to use oil enough. Use them. Use them. Soon Christmas gifts will be unwrapped, won't they? And the hard work of fathers and mothers and, and grandparents and others too will be reformulated, if you will into a wrapped gift that's placed underneath the Christmas tree and, and it'll be torn open, perhaps by little excited hands, torn open. As gift givers, you know, nothing makes the gift giver happier than to see the gift that he worked hard to supply being used, being played with, being enjoyed. It's the reason you gave it. Especially if it's a gift you can't do without. The gracious gifts of Christ you cannot do without. So with all diligence for his sake, for your sake, with all diligence use them. And take your children by the hand with tender care and teach them how and teach them where to get this oil. Because they need it too. And never stop teaching them. And you could do no higher honor to a father or a mother who's neglected this oil than lovingly and with all respect to encourage them in it for they need it just the same. And people, people will mock you for taking such care to prepare. Pray for them. They need it too. For St. Paul says in our epistle reading, many say, come on, Relax. There's peace, there's security. But then suddenly, destruction will come. And the cry will sound, the bridegroom's here, and then it'll be too late to prepare. 
I think one of the worst things about being caught unprepared when any kind of calamity hits, I think it's the feeling of regret. Of knowing you had the time and you had the means by which to be prepared. But now that aching feeling of knowing that you're unprepared and it's too late. Terrible feeling. Maybe you know it. The feeling that that I should have and I could have, but I didn't. No doubt how the five foolish maidens felt when they were caught unprepared. It's no doubt how they would still still feel outside the, the closed door to the wedding banquet, knowing well that the favorable time has run out. Behold, Scripture says, now is the favorable time. Behold, it says, now is the day of salvation. Friends, by Christ's faithful and abundant supply that he so faithfully delivers to you himself, redemption, forgiveness in and through his word and sacraments, You're prepared. You're prepared to stand as Christ made his bride stand righteous and spotless before him. That's how you're prepared. You're prepared and you'll be prepared with oil enough. You'll be prepared whether for earth's last day when suddenly he'll come in all his splendor wearing his crown. He'll come suddenly or you'll be prepared for your last day. As sometimes suddenly he'll come then to close out to close out for you all of your days here below. He does that sometimes, doesn't he? Sometimes he does that, and it will be that way for some of us here. Perhaps it'll be with the doctor's word of an unexpected diagnosis and an alarmingly time scarce prognosis. For some it'll be when your loved one's phone rings. In the middle of the night, like a thief in the night. When your loved one's phone rings and their reply to what's said is, but he seems so healthy. Or it'll be how tragic because she was so young. We know not the day, nor do we know the hour when he will come for you, for me, for all of us. But we know with certainty he will come. And you'll be ready. When he does, you'll be prepared. And so until he does, you can rest. You can rest. Not negligently, no. But just like the five wise virgins did in the parable. They rested. They slept too. Remember this parable, this particular one? They slept as well. But theirs, mind you, was not the slumber of unsuspecting apathy and ignorance and negligence. No. They lived in the confidence that whenever the cry rang out and the bridegroom came, having been prepared by him, they knew that they were ready. Ever ready were they for when he came. Ready with oil enough and more. And when Christ comes for his bride in waiting, what a wedding day that day will be. Even better than today. Though today is a good day. You know, It's not often that an object lesson of this magnitude, this obvious magnitude, helps a pastor preach his sermon for the day. (laughs) But as long as I've known John, 
and I've had the pleasure to know him, and as far, thus far as I've known Stephanie, they're help, awfully willing to help a guy out. So it's, it works well for the day. <laughs> but it is, a wedding that, it is a wedding that Jesus is describing here in the text. Clearly from the details, it's the case. It describes the customs of an ancient Israelite wedding. It's probably not accurate for me to say wedding day because Israelite marriages were far more drawn out than that. First came the betrothal. Wasn't a trial period. Wasn't probationary. It was as binding as marriage. But it was a preliminary period in which the bride and the groom, well bound together to each other by solemn oath, did not yet live face to face. I think one has well put it. We Christians live life here in betrothal, as it were, because we don't yet see our bridegroom face to face. Because you see, it was during that time of betrothal that the bridegroom, just like Christ does for us, his bride, the church, the bridegroom would give presents and gifts to his betrothed bride. And then it was that after a time, an indefinite time, she knew not always necessarily the day or the hour of his arrival. The bridegroom, though, would come from his or or often his father's house, dressed in his glorious best in all his splendor, wearing the nuptial crown, and then he'd receive his bride to himself. He'd come accompanied by the the whole host of his friends and his groomsmen, having reached the house of the bride who, with, with her bridesmaids, anxiously waited for his arrival. Then he'd conduct them all, the whole company of them, back to his father's house. But then didn't Jesus say to you and me, in my father's house are many rooms, and I go to prepare a place for you, and I will come back, he said, and I'll come back again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And then when, when the, the wedding party arrived at the house, the marriage banquet would begin hosted, of course, by the bridegroom and his father. And all the friends and neighbors would be invited in wedding garments. To all present and invited wedding garments, there would be provided. No charge would be provided. And the bridal couple would drink wine from a common cup to seal the marriage covenant and to signify the joy of a new life now together forever face to face. But then again, didn't Jesus say on the night that he was betrayed, I shall not drink of this fruit of the vine until that day that I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Is it not a beautiful picture of Christ and his church? A beautiful picture marriage is. We saw that today. We heard it today. Beautiful picture marriage is not because of us, the office holders. We're imperfect. For we'll often cause the very tears that God has given us to one another to wipe away. We'll sometimes be the very ones to inflict the sorrow and the hurt and the pain. No, the picture is perfect because of him, Christ, the bridegroom who's forgiven his bride of more than any groom or every, any bride ever could, more than any groom or every, ever, 
more than any groom or any bride ever will forgive each other, knowing how far they've been forgiven by Christ. Because of him, when our bridegroom Christ comes to us, the imperfect of today will give way to the, to the tomorrow that St. John saw. In the Revelation when he said, And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband, and then he will, God will wipe away every tear from her eye. And there shall be no more death or sorrow or crying, no more pain, for the former things they will have passed away. Our bridegroom soon will call us. And then, prepared by him, we'll see him, and with him we'll live forever, face to glorious face. In his name, amen.
Behold, the bridegroom come out to meet him, that moved by God's word spoken by the angels and the prophets and the apostles of old and echoed by the church throughout the ages, that it would accomplish throughout the world, O Lord, that for which you have sent it, calling sinners to faith's repentance, to the forgiveness of sins and the fellowship of your holy people. Lord, in, have, uh, in your mercy, hear our prayer. That called by that same word, we would come here to meet him, here to meet Christ where he's promised to be found, in the preaching of the cross, in baptismal waters, and in his very own body and blood, which is our bread of life from heaven, your means of grace, O Lord, administered to your people through your called servants. Today, with your servant Matthew Payne and his wife, Yervena, we thank you for the 20 years that he has served your people since his ordination at this altar. And we ask that you would be with him and bless him and work through him to be a blessing unto your people for decades yet to come. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. That the world would be governed justly by those whom God allows to rule until his son visibly returns again in glory. Especially do we pray then for our nation and its leaders, our president and Congress and courts, and those who defend us abroad, and those who protect our rights and enforce the laws of our land and protect our property and our lives here at home. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer that God would bless the institution of marriage throughout the world, that his man and woman are united together as husband and wife. People everywhere would be reminded of the union between Christ and his bride, the church. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. That our Lord would bless all who have exchanged vows of marriage, especially today. Do we ask that of his servants, John and Stephanie, who have here pledged themselves to each other in his name, Cause their love for each other to grow throughout their days together as they reflect upon your love, O Lord, for them. A love that knew no boundaries and burden, no burden too great to bear, even the burden of the world's sin. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. That the widow and the widower and the orphan would not be forgotten but lovingly remembered and cared for, that mothers with child and the children they carry would be protected by you and through the laws of our land from all harm and danger, that the lonely and the depressed would find hope and comfort in the fellowship of the church and in the promises of your word. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. That the diseases of the sick would be healed according to your will, O Lord, that the pains of the suffering would be relieved that the dying would find strength in your presence with them as they walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and that those who grieve the death of loved ones, especially Jen Lee and his children, at the death of his dear wife and their mother, would be comforted by the victory over death that belongs to all who die in the Lord. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. That we, with all the prophets and the apostles and the saints of God who have gone before us, may be prepared by the Spirit of God to say in the world's last day, Behold the Bridegroom, come out to meet him, through the same Jesus Christ our Lord, who has taught us together to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, 
forever and ever. Amen. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, almighty and everlasting God, you have safely brought us to the beginning of this day. Defend us in the same with your mighty power, and grant that this day we fall into no sin, neither run into any kind of danger, but that all our doings, being ordered by your governance, may be righteous in your sight. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, now, now and forever. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be in the with you all. Amen.